Good morning. You out there? Good morning. Fantastic. Well, it is now January the 8th, right? We are one week into 2023, and so I thought I would just start by asking, how's it going? Right? Lots of resolutions, right? Lots of promises made, uh, thoughts and hopes and aspirations of the new year, and we're one week in. I don't know about you, but I kind of like the new year. Uh, I like the start of a new year, but I have a problem living in Bryan College Station that I continue to think that the new year is actually the academic year. I don't know if any of you suffer from the same thing after being involved around a university for so long. I sometimes struggle to realize that the calendar year is also a major reset. Honestly, I think some of my excitement uh, stems from becoming bored with the old and craving something new. And that's not always a great reason to be excited. It's, uh, it also comes from really believing that God is at work in our midst, and I'm uh, very excited to see whatever it is that he's going to bring to us this new year to find out hangs, how things are going to turn out. In general, I'd long to have something different If I'm more honest with myself, I long to have something easier about the new year. But to get there, to to understand what God's plan for us is, we need to at least take a moment to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things. No matter how we were surprised by the last year or maybe even the last couple of years, God was never caught off guard. No matter how difficult things have been, God was not surprised. And we couple that with knowing that God has this great love for us and that he desires what's best for us, and we struggle to resolve the two. It should also, though, God's sovereignty help us understand that there's a hope that's only found in him. That whatever our hopes are for the new year, that if we're not trusting in the Lord, we may not be trusting in the right things. For instance, I'm, I'm excited a little bit to find out how now we're finally moving past this kind of pandemic year, a couple of years, and all of the other difficulties that we've experienced, how it is that people that are in our community might be a little more interested in starting a relationship with him. What is it that God has been doing in our midst on the spiritual level as we have struggled to understand what he's doing in our material world? This might present itself for some people in realizing their loneliness or realizing their isolation, that they find that they have a a new desire to interact with people and having questions come up in their life that maybe they've never considered before after seeing quite a bit of hardship. But interestingly, church might not be the first thing that pops into their head as part of the solution. So really, a personal interaction and a personal invitation to understand who God is and where we meet together is still our best strategy. As my part of my job at Grace Bible Church, I get uh, to help out with a lot of 
different collection of random things uh, at our church. But one of the things that I love the most uh, is that I get to help out with our partnership Chinese church. uh, That if you're looking at Barnes & Noble on Texas is just kind of tucked back off to the left. And there I get to help out with a little bit of vision and a little bit of strategy. And I get to preach there about once a month. So when Pastor Carlos was, uh, you know, realizing that he was traveling this week and he asked me to teach here this morning at Midtown, uh, he referenced a passage that I had actually taught uh, about, about a year and a half ago, back in July of 2021, just as we were beginning kind of a new series there uh, in Ephesians. And I began to look back through that sermon. I realized that in July of 2021, when I was at the Chinese church, I was actually explaining to them what was happening here at Midtown, explaining that our vision, our vision for this new church plant and why we were excited to be a part uh, of what was happening here. And here's what I told them. I said, Grace Midtown will be our fourth campus uh, and a uh, step deeper into a very diverse community as we seek to plant another bilingual, multi-ethnic congregation that focuses on the English and the Spanish-speaking population, not the Chinese population, of, uh, of Bryan College Station. I said, we're going to start with two services, an English service and a Spanish service, and this is going to give us the best opportunity to reach the grandparents, the parents, and the kids of this community, as well as reaching out to more than 15,000 Hispanic students at Texas A&M and Blinn. I explained to them at that time how we were behind in our planning, behind in our construction, and on some days we had no idea how much or what portion of our dream would be true on September 5th, 2021, our official launch date. But that we knew that God was building something for his purpose and for his glory, and that we as his children are inviting people into a work in progress. And here we are, a year and a half later. Not all the construction is finished. We're still working on a few things. We are still a work in progress, but we're watching a dream unfold. We're still needing to trust God for what is happening, and we still need to remember the breadth and the depth of what God has called us to do but we don't always feel ready for those challenges. We sit here this morning, maybe in anticipation of what this new year will bring, somewhat excited, somewhat uneasy, and maybe still feeling like so many things are out of our control. Interestingly, throughout Scripture, God's people have often found themselves in very, very similar conditions. And the answer for them has always been the same from the Old Testament all the way through, and that is to remember. To remember all that God has done for them. And this morning, we need to remember our purpose. We need to remember to not get distracted. And we need to remember how God has actually created us and prepared us through our whole lives and through this last year and a half for these very days to accomplish his will. We need to be reminded that this church wasn't just planted for those who are already coming, but also for those who have yet to come. 
Pastor Carlos touched on this from a personal perspective last week uh, as he challenged us individually to remember what God's purposes are uh, for this new year. And this morning, I just want to follow up uh, on that thought, but to talk with us a little bit uh, about how that impacts us as a whole church. This is most easily summed up in uh, our vision statement at Grace Bible Church. that we help people find and follow Jesus. Whether from an individual church or as, a, uh, as an individual or a church perspective, this should be the central purpose that governs all of the other decisions that we make. Has this become a key focus in our life over the last year and a half or more? Is this what our church is chasing as a key priority? These questions are what got me thinking about my content for this sermon this morning. And we're going to talk a little bit from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which serves as a great place not only for us to understand who we are in Christ as an individual, but also what we're supposed to be doing corporately as a church. So as you turn uh, in your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be reading uh, some from verses 1 through 14. And we're going to consider how God has blessed us to become the very people equipped to accomplish his will. Now, in the time of Paul, Ephesus was uh, like the third largest city in the Roman Empire. To think about this for us, it would kind of yield the same influence as maybe a Chicago or a Los Angeles falling uh, a little bit behind, maybe like a New York City and a Washington, D.C., and it was the center for Gentiles and Jews that were living together in the midst of Asia Minor where everything imaginable was available. Sex, money, fame, power, position, progressive thought, conservative religion, cults, and multiculturalism. It's where people could most feel like they were citizens of Rome without having to live within the confines of Rome. And it sat on a public trade route where news of the world passed through its streets on a daily basis. I can only imagine what it was like in its heyday. And I've been able to visit there a couple of times, 2,000 years uh, after the time of Paul. And it still stands as one of the most impressive historical sites that I've ever visited. The takeaway here is that Ephesus was a place, maybe it was the place that exhibited material blessing. And Paul had his eye on the city as an important place to win for Jesus. We know that early on in his second missionary journey, Paul was prevented, he wanted to go to Asia Minor, but he was prevented by the Spirit in Acts chapter 16. But by the end of chapter 18 and 19, we see that Paul gets his first chance to visit Ephesus, speaking mostly to the Jews in the synagogue. But it wasn't until Paul's return there that he was able to dig into the city where he was able to stay for about another two years and develop the ministry and plant the church. Paul left again not to ever return, though there was one moment where he was able to meet the leaders of that church in Miletus, and because of his love for them, it was a very tearful goodbye. When the letter to the Ephesians was finally penned, it's about 10 years later. And Paul is now writing from the confines of his house arrest in Rome. Known as the prison epistles, we have Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. 
bearing the largest weight of the known teachings of Paul that are found in our New Testament. Paul wanted to remind these Ephesians and the other churches who would end up reading this letter that though they lived with privilege all around them, that eternal blessings were found only in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Chasing what the world had to offer would not ultimately bring the satisfaction that they were seeking. Only the priority of walking with Christ would do that. And Paul believed that the church at Ephesus, which was now being led by one of his young disciples named Timothy, could make a real difference if they maintained the right priorities in their spiritual lives. As was his custom, Paul starts the letter with a traditional greeting that introduces both his authorship but also identifies the audience. It says here in Ephesians uh, 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul mentions that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. And the reason that he does that is he wants to talk about the authority by which he comes. Okay, this word apostle in its simplest form just means one who is sent out. But there's another aspect of it that is a little bit more official that talks about the the office of an apostle. And he wanted to remind people uh, that he carried the same authority as those who had walked with Christ. He says, I do so by the will of God that because he's sitting in prison uh, in Rome, that he was not called to move out into the different places by his own preference, but by a calling. Paul wanted this church to remember that he had been sent out not by his own devised plan, but by the urging of God to do this work by which many of the people sitting at the reading of that letter had come to Christ. He wasn't trying to garner influence or gather a crowd. He was trying to fulfill his calling as he planted and shepherded the church. He addresses those in the audience of that letter as the saints. Not those who have just chosen God, but those who have been chosen by God and those who have been set apart for his use. I love this phrase that is often overlooked, uh, that the Bible talks about how we have been set apart. It's related to this sense of calling that we have. It's related to the sense of, uh, of holiness uh, that we are called to, and also this, uh, the term of being called a saint, that God, as he brings us into faith, that he wants us to do something special for his kingdom. It's so important that we understand in light of what we're Uh, understand this in light of what we're studying in Ephesians today. We often think uh, of our salvation sometimes a little bit selfishly, focusing on what we've been saved from. But we also need to consider more that for which we have been saved to, that God has set us apart for his purposes, not just to live for ourselves. So even from the greeting, we get this picture that this letter is going to be about what God has done on behalf of men and women and has nothing to do with the things that we think that we have earned in the face of God. He addresses another issue of uh, faithfulness, right? And he does it, I think, from a couple of different ways. He talks about the faithful in Christ Jesus, okay? And part of being faithful in Christ Jesus is what I've said is to be full of faith, 
right? To be full of faith means that we're not living lives according to fear, but that we are trusting God for every outcome as it pertains to our health, our work, our family, and our church. But a second aspect of that is that we are also to be faithful, right? To be faithful means that we are committed to the cause of Christ with the highest priority over everything else that we do. It means that we stay at the task that God has given us until the task has been completed. And that is the Great Commission. If we're to do a little self-evaluation this morning, not something I'm great at as a personality, to determine how full of faith and how faithful we have become in the last 18 uh, 18 months, how would that evaluation turn out? If we were to apply the same evaluation as a church, how have we been doing since September 5th of 2021? Are you happy with where you are and where we are as a church? Do you know the places for this next year that you would like to see change? Do you have a plan and a community for both encouragement and accountability to make the change? Because sometimes... Oftentimes, I hear people lamenting, wishing that they were closer to Christ without necessarily willing to do the work that it takes to get there, okay? To travel every avenue that he's given us to become closer to him. This is like wishing that I would lose a little bit of weight over the course of this next year, but not being willing to do the things I know that it's going to take to get there, right? The reality is, at least for me, I'm pretty much the weight I want. Not aspirationally, but pragmatically. And oftentimes the same is true in our spiritual lives. After this greeting, Paul starts the letter off with a pretty strong statement. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And there could be books written about just this verse. And honestly, I'm not sure that I have the fullest grasp of everything that is packed into this phrase. But it seems to represent a line of argument for Paul as he continues to dismantle the very nature of the Ephesian worldview. The rich and the privileged people of Ephesus had every world, worldly blessing, all of which were temporal. So Paul countered with eternal blessings that are rooted in the spirit of God's work in our life to bring salvation. And that God has provided everything we need to accomplish that to which he has called us as a church. God has provided everything that we need to accomplish that which he has called us as a church. The rest of this passage for this morning, verses 14 through 14, uh, 4 through 14, enumerate the nature of these blessings. And while a separate sermon could be preached on each one of these uh, at a later time, I would love to cover them all together as we weave a beautiful tapestry of God's unconditional love for each one of us. But as we cover each one, I would like for us to think about not only how there's personal application involved in each one of these seven blessings, 
but also to consider how these blessings supply the church with everything we need to serve Jesus. So there are seven blessings. There are three from the Father. There are two from the Son, and there are two from the Holy Spirit. If you're a note taker, strap it on. We're going to go through them pretty quickly, okay? The first is this, is that we have been chosen in Christ, okay, chosen in him. Before the foundation of the earth, get this, we have been planned, we have been known, we have been chosen, and we have been loved. This is why the very uh, central aspect of our identity of who we are can be found in Christ. We've been planned and known and chosen and loved. We are not an accident. We are not an afterthought of creation, either as a people or as a church. And our actions play no role in our salvation. Here we have the end goal of what this looks like, that we would become holy, again, set apart and blameless, being set apart to participate in God's plan of redeeming his children. If you don't have a goal for 2023, what a beautiful aspiration that God has given us in his word this morning, that we would become holy and blameless, being set apart to participate in God's plan of redeeming his children. The second blessing says this, is that we are predestined to adoption. As sons, uh, and I'll explain that in a little bit, this is, the, uh, this is important uh, when it comes to the issue of how inheritance worked at the time that, uh, that Paul was writing, but to the kind intention of his will is this, is that in his kindness, God offered his salvation and it wasn't a demand for his service. The older I get and the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more impressed I am with the kindness of God. And it's something that I want to strive for. As an end goal, the praise of the glory of his grace, the very point that our salvation isn't earned, that our adoption would end up leading us to worship. The third blessing that we see is a redemption through his grace. It's interesting to note that before we have a relationship with Christ, we were never pleasing to God. Okay? We, we, we never were able to please God in our own behaviors. But we find out that in Christ, we have always been pleasing to God. There's nothing that can change that. This is so hard for us to understand how God could love his rebellious creation enough to redeem them to become his children. Because of his love, we are giving, have been given a seat at a table that we could never deserve and that we could never attain. The end goal is that God wanted to lavish his grace upon us. And I love this word lavished. There's not a, we don't use it uh, very often in our uh, conversation. And so I started thinking, how can I explain the immensity of this term? Uh, and I came up with a poor metaphor. Uh, and it, I thought about a time uh, when I was a kid, uh, you know, and, and our parents tried to teach us moderation, right? They're teaching us moderation. And so sometimes we'd get up on a Saturday morning and mom, uh, my brother and my sister and I, uh, she would fix us pancakes. 
right? She would fix his pancakes. And I always, because I'm a third child, I always wanted to pour, it my, pour the syrup myself and to be in control of how much that I had. And so my mom would hand me the syrup, but she would always watch me like a hawk, right? I said, don't put too much syrup on those pancakes. And as I began to think about this, that the lavishness of God's grace, it not only covers the pancakes, it fills up the plate. It runs over the edge. It spills off the table and it runs onto the floor. And God continues to lavish and pour his grace upon us. It's unlike any other relationship we can experience. What a blessing. The fourth blessing is this, the mystery of his will was made known. That uh, Though that he started with the Jew, his goal was always to reach out to the nations, to reach to the Gentiles. It was always a part of his plan. There's a theme that begins uh, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 uh, that talks about how God was going to bless a man who would become a family, who would become a people, who would become a nation that could turn and to bless all of the other nations with the knowledge of who God was. This is true as individuals, but it's also true uh, as a church that we have been blessed so that we may bless others. The end goal of this blessing is that the stewardship of being spiritually blessed is to bless others in our community spiritually. But church, we have to determine as a church not to become too self-focused. In many ways, this was part of our motivation as a church to start Midtown. God has blessed us as a church, as Grace Bible Church, uh, in so many ways for the last 50 plus years, but our impact wasn't reaching the whole of our community. So we committed to do some things that were different, to try to reach out to others that had not been kind of within uh, our influence, not to place, uh, not from a place of power or a place of pity, but because we desired so much to learn about Jesus from those who are different than us. The fifth blessing is that we obtained an inheritance. And this is why we were adopted as sons. Because in the old world, uh, the the issue of inheritance, most of the daughters were married off and uh, became part of somebody else's blessing, right? But for us, we've been told we've been both men and women adopted as sons because we get a seat at the table. We get a full share of inheritance, okay? And the end goal of that is that we get to exchange all of this temporal frustration for things that are eternal. And instead of just inviting people into our church building, we get to invite people into our church family. The sixth blessing is this, is that identification with Christ and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation was known and brought about and sealed eternally through the Holy Spirit's indwelling of our lives. It can't be changed, it can't be lost, it can't be given up, and it can't be marred. Once we are adopted, we cannot become unadopted. The end goal is that we are sealed. It can't be be opened, it can't be changed. We are branded to always be his children. 
which leaves us with the outflow that either we are good or bad representatives of the faith, or we are good or bad recipients of his grace. I was thinking a bit just about adoption this week and how scary, usually we think about how scary it is for the parents because parents that are adopting usually have lots of expectations and hopes and dreams about uh, how that new child coming into their family will impact their family. But think about it as well from the perspective of the child if they are old enough. Every longing, every expectation, will it be fulfilled? And will it last forever? So many wonder if God can meet their deepest need and if God will love them without condition. But God promises us that our adoption and therefore his love for us is not only complete, but it's forever. And the last blessing is this, that we're given the Holy Spirit as a pledge. The Holy Spirit is the active down payment for what, Uh, for what will come. It's our living proof uh, living inside of us uh, that Jesus will one day return and take us to our eternal home. This indwelling helps to navigate, uh, helps us to navigate this world through both the conviction of sin, but also the empowering of the gifts that God has given us to navigate this world until that moment happens where Christ comes back to receive us into his hands. The end goal is to the promise and the praise of his glory. What is our message, our response to all of these blessings? When I was a child, no matter how many gifts I received uh, at Christmas or at a birthday, I was just desirous of receiving more. But as I got a little older, I saw the measure of love and the cost and the commitment and sacrifice for the things that I was given to the point of feeling sometimes a bit uneasy, seeing the pile of gifts that God has lavished upon us. How are you feeling today? Let me ask a few questions uh, of application this morning as the worship band is preparing to come back up. Are we ready to respond to these spiritual blessings in a way that allows them to transform our lives? Will we believe that God has given us everything that we need both personally and as a church to accomplish his will? Can we identify the next best steps that gets us or keeps us on the road to serving him faithfully in response to his kindness? As I said at the beginning, I kind of like the new year. It's a time to reflect on the places where I can trust God more, hopefully step out in faith, and to seek to grow more in my relationship with God. And this year, the new start is even more important because we get a chance to start again more than two years after all of these unknown circumstances and unsettled outcomes of our life. And if we set aside our own pursuits, whether those are academic, economic, political, personal security, all of the different things as primary goals and begin to pursue Christ as the most important priority for this next year, how will our lives look? How will our church look? And how will our community be different by next December? This means 
Maybe that we might read more of God's word than random things on the internet. It might mean that this, uh, we watch out more for our neighbors than we do watching Netflix. This means that we could use our physical blessings to build bridges to share our spiritual blessings to those around us. This means we would speak up in love rather than speaking out just our opinions. Meeting, engaging, and pursuing new people to bring to church with whom we could share Christ. And as a church, we could still do better at reaching deeper into our community. Can we dream more together about reaching the 15,000 Hispanic students at Blinn and Texas A&M, as well as reaching deeper into the context that God has placed our church? Can we be better at helping our church to represent this multicultural community? Can we commit to helping our church grow, not to bring glory to ourselves, but rather to be a better steward of the blessings that God has given us to help those who have yet to hear the gospel? I think we can. If our year would be formed around helping people find and follow Jesus, then December 2023 will come and we'll be ready to celebrate all that God has done through us as a people and us as a church. Let me pray for us. Father, would you motivate us by all the right things because of this incredible, lavishly dispensed sense of blessing that you've given our spiritual lives, not from a compulsion of duty or trying to earn something, but Father, is an overflow of the love that you've given us to reach out to those that are around us. You've given us every spiritual blessing and equipping and the Holy Spirit to empower us. And we have no other reason except to step out in faith. Lord, we love you and we hope that we will do that as a measure of our response to you. To give you the glory and the honor that you deserve, we pray in Jesus' name.